third magpie by M.S. Clements, read by Hannah Timms. Episode 6 Life on the Fine Point of Pain We are all Damocles, and love has become the single strand of hair by which the sword hangs, its blade honed by those moments of affection, desire and purpose. The sharper the point, the deeper it drives into you. Sophie. Her needle punctured the silence, the stabbing of taut cotton followed by the lilac silk singing its way through. Then came another stab and another. Sophie lifted the embroidery hoop to the side lamp and admired the tiny viola, so delicate, almost as uplifting as the violas that would appear in the spring. She rubbed her eyes with the back of her hand. Her last daylight bulb died weeks ago, and Bain's hardware had no idea when they would be able to get any more. The weak yellow glow in her side lamp was no substitute. Gentle tapping onto the wooden floor broke into her thoughts. Finn's stockinged foot was moving rhythmically. He had his pen in his mouth, and in his hand was a sheet of paper, but he was not reading the words. An invisible scene somewhere in the middle distance held him in a trance. Sophie put away her sewing, determined not to say anything. He'd just get irritable again. Are you okay? she said, ignoring herself. Finn took a second or two to register her. Sophie was about to repeat her question when he answered, I'm fine, a little tired. I, I think these late nights are getting to me. That, I'm fine, again. If she persisted, the inevitable row would ensue. Sophie got out of her chair and picked up the tablet. He'd talk to her eventually, he always did. Alive with her fingers, she swiped the screen searching for some news or comedy. Silence was becoming tedious. There have been more cases of influenza in AZ-12. Article reckons it came through one of the smuggler routes. Sophie commented, hoping to elicit some response. All she got was his pen scratching across the paper and a nod of his head. Irritated, she resolved to get some conversation out of Finn before another silent night was over. The health ministry wants to start a vaccination campaign immediately. No doubt we'll be hearing about it in the surgery. Henry will be furious. He hates bureaucracy. Bet there'll be some late nights helping him with the paperwork. You don't mind, do you? No. Why should I? Sophie sighed. Blood and stone sprang to mind. But Finn was not the only stubborn one in that marriage. To be honest, mass vaccination programmes are a nightmare to administer. Finn raised his head. Mass vaccination programmes for patriots only, he replied, correcting his wife. Sophie's ears reddened. Votes and photo opportunity considered the only driving force when it came to health policy. Medical science played no role whatsoever. That discussion would only bring pain and guilt. Student Party Tolbridge University, aged 18 
Students are meant to be slovenly, lazy, and above all, party animals. I am none of the above. I am supposed to mingle, meet, and chat. My roommate, Marcus, he's good at that sort of thing. An ever-welcoming smile with a comforting drink for whomever finds their way to our student flat. Calm and good-humoured, Marcus gets on with everyone. The little sitting room fills with strangers, each clutching a bottle. I slink further into the background. An armchair close to the curtain provides the ideal spot to sit out the party. The students chat and joke, all friends of Marcus, from his geography course. He suggested I invite some guys from my tutor group. I nearly did invite one girl, but I don't know her number to send her a text. A dark-haired girl sees me and pushes her way through the gossiping group, grabbing a beanbag as she passes. She drops the fluffy bag onto my feet and then sinks her lithe body into its embrace. You're Marcus's roommate, aren't you? The quiet one. Do you have a name? Michael. I'm Kaylee, by the way. Pleased to meet you. A skinny arm holds a glass of vodka up for me to take. Her wrist is covered with silver bangles urgently jangling as I hesitate. There is no point in telling her that I don't like vodka. I place the full glass on the windowsill. This is where you thank me and start asking about my course she says, curling up on the fur like some indulgent cat. My silence gives Kaylee the green light to talk incessantly, oblivious to my one-word replies. Chatter and laughter ricochet off every surface while she tells me about a fossil-hunting trip out on the beach. I'm not sure if she wants me to join her or just relating another story. I really don't care. I shut my eyes and wish the room away. I should have gone home. Is it possible to miss something so much that it transforms into real physical pain? The room is too hot. Opening a window, I let the cold air filter through the bodies around me. You idiot! Can't you see it's bloody raining? Kaylee jumps up, squealing at me. It hurts my head. I close the window and she returns to the beanbag. On the windowsill, a paper napkin soaks up the rain. I watch the dark green blotches spread out, tentacles that reach for the edge, an invisible creature invading the paper, consuming it. I am the fool being devoured within this alien world, this party one more torture to deepen my pain. What do I have to offer that might interest this vivacious girl at my feet? If I speak, I will reveal the actor hiding behind the mask of diligent student. They will all see I don't belong in that room. I don't belong in that place. The smell of sweat, perfume, and alcohol curls round my neck, squeezing my throat. Young bodies move in time with the music, its volume pulsing upwards louder and louder. The music is gone, and chaotic confusion fills my head. A careless blonde drops crisps onto the floor, crushing the snack into the depths of the rug with her trainers. Kaylee blathers on, and all the time my fingernails dig into my palms, and my right leg bounces in time with rising fear. I push my glasses up and pinch the bridge of my nose. I have a headache. A wine glass is tipped over on my desk, soaking into the pages of the book I am studying. My Tess is bathed in deep red liquid. I have to escape. I have to breathe. 
I step over Kaylee's sprawling limbs, her arm holding up her empty glass towards me. I'll have another vodka, thanks. I take it and abandon the room, unnoticed by the other guests enjoying student rituals. Marcus and his girlfriend Katie fill our tiny kitchen. They are locked to each other in passionate kissing. I leave them to it and I head to my bedroom. I need to shut the party out so I push a chair up against the door seeking refuge on my bed. Opposite, the wardrobe door has opened, its black gap goading me in. Here be monsters. It torments me on purpose because it can. I am its useless prey caught in a trap, powerless to shut that monster out, incapable of turning away from its triumphant success. Sweat snakes down my face and mingles with tears. Behind the door I can hear Marcus's voice. He's looking for me. But the chair holds strong. Marcus is safe from my monsters. Finn. The quiet of the room was only disturbed by the rain hitting the window and the constant ticking of the mantel clock. He had begun to anticipate her moves, so it came as no surprise when her hand lay across his, stopping his pen. A magpie landed in the garden this morning, she said. I'm sorry, a magpie? Finn was confused. Unsure whether she was talking about magpies or if it was another cryptic statement he was yet to decipher. A single magpie is an evil omen. However, if someone else sees it with you, it removes the bad luck. Mr. Yoan spotted it just before it flew away. I don't like magpies. Then I'll remember not to gift you one, he replied. Aren't you superstitious? No, not at all. I even walk under ladders. Finn returned to marking the paper, ignoring her eyes, scrutinising him. And what about broken mirrors? Catherine added. Finn replaced the cap on his pen and set it down on the table. Most of the time she was a highly literate, confident woman, but once more he was being confronted with the young 17-year-old girl searching for advice. A broken mirror is dangerous, not for any wild superstitious reasons, but because of the shards of glass. Get one of those in your foot, well, you might get an infection and, who knows, death, possibly. I'd say that would constitute bad luck, but only if you don't clear up all the broken pieces. And are you a broken mirror? Finn started to wonder if there'd been something stronger than mint tea in the pot. Just as suddenly as her childish behaviour arrived, so it would disappear. Catherine examined a chip nail and nibbled the loose bit. Tell me, are you a mere reflection of a broken man? When you see yourself, are you incapable of knowing if it's the real you? Are you a shattered individual, hoping one day for the right person to come along and collect up all the pieces? Someone who can glue you back together again. Finn hid his discomfort. 
The fragile veil of pretense was lifting with her words of truth, and he needed to pull it back down to its rightful place. Well, I... It's not that I... I can't say I have. Do you? Sometimes, but not often. Cat abandoned her seat and wandered the room humming to herself. She loaded more logs onto the fire, picked up cushions and moved them to new places. Stopping by the mantel, she dragged her finger across the top, checking for dust. Do you know the whole rhyme? Are we still discussing broken mirrors? said Finn. His anxieties were elbowing their way into his head, demanding his attention despite his efforts to ignore them. Catherine's eyes narrowed, focusing on Finn's tapping foot. No, magpies. Do you know the rhyme? I think so. One for sorrow, two for joy, three for a girl, four for a boy, five for silver, six for gold, seven for a secret never to be told. Is that the one you mean? Yes, that's the one. Yesterday I saw three magpies, but what news were they bringing? What does three for a girl mean? Finn stared directly into her face, heart-shaped and perfectly symmetrical, her high cheeks glowing from her youthful vigour and health. If he wasn't so scared of her, he'd even say she were beautiful. So, what do you think it means? Cat pulled him out of his involuntary trance. He'd never considered the meaning of the rhyme, despite Evie repeating it to him at bedtime. He was confused, yet relieved by the change in direction. Surely it means you will have a daughter, and four means you'll have a son. I won't be having daughters. Medical science ensures I will give birth to the right sex. The likes of me only ever have sons. Because that's what we pay for. That is what society expects. Your father had a daughter? I'm sure he loves you as much as he would if you were a boy. No, I'm a useful tool, nothing more. Perhaps I am the girl and you are the boy. Silver the money that pays for you and gold... What's gold? Cat returned to her seat, once more placing her hand over his her fingers touching the simple gold band on his left ring finger. Gold represents your wedding vows. Seven, well, that one is easy. All marriages have secrets. Yours will be no different. Secrecy must always exist. We shouldn't talk about my marriage. It is completely irrelevant to our lesson. But that's what we have been talking about for the past month. Marriage was exactly what they had been discussing. Elizabeth and Darcy, Charlotte and the Reverend Collins, Lydia and Wickham. He tried to convince himself it was Cat wanting to bring real-life experience to the debate. Nothing sinister, purely teenage curiosity. There is a different version, older, I believe, she continued. Is there? That's the only one I've heard. Cat left him again and wandered to the window tapping out a rhythm on the glass with her chipped nail. She intoned the rhyme out to the black night as though reciting a spell to ward off the evil that lay outside. One for sorrow, two for mirth, three for a funeral, four for a birth. Finn's anxieties broke free as adrenaline released into his bloodstream, 
Fight or flight? It could never be fight, not with someone like Miss Fry. Flight? It was nearly nine o'clock. The lesson would soon end and he'd be free. If it wasn't three for a girl, maybe those magpies were warning me of a funeral. Question is whose? Cat returned to his side, prodding him for an answer. He had nothing to say, his foot still tapping under the table, stoking up the panic held within him. Why do you always tap your foot? It's very annoying. She pushed down on his knee. Don't know, it's just me, I suppose. Rarely notice I'm even doing it, he lied. The mantel clock struck the hour. She took her hand off his knee, but did not stop watching him. Finn burned beneath her glare as he collected up the papers and books. Snatching up his wrist, she held him tight. Sometimes I think we must be so different, you and I. But there are other times, like tonight, when I wonder if that's true. It's as if we're opposite sides of the same coin. I... I uh... Maybe everyone can find similarities in other people if they look hard enough. Catherine released his wrist. Perhaps you're right. I shall get Miss Fran to put bread out, attract a few more magpies into the garden. Eight for a wish, nine for a kiss. With that, she left the table. Finn watched her, both terrified and captivated. The way she walked, her back straight like the catwalk models Evie used to admire when he was a little boy. Catherine spun round and pressed her hand to her mouth. She gave each of her fingers a loud and provocative kiss, and then, with pursed lips, blew each kiss towards him. Tuesday, 1st of December. A strange lesson tonight. Sometimes I wonder who exactly is the teacher. He was so scared. I'm certain he was. But why? He's hiding something. And then again, aren't we all? It had been a frustrating day at school after two of his pupils decided to release their pent-up jealousy with each other in the middle of his lesson. Both girls claimed a certain young guardsman had declared his love for them. Barbed remarks became increasingly vicious, while his polite requests for calm it remained ignored. The other girls didn't help, taking sides, adding their own array of insults. It was inevitable that words would become hair-pulling and kicks. Prevented from intervening, he sent out one of his quieter pupils to fetch Mr Harrison, while he pointlessly refereed the spectacle before him. He was acquainted with the guardsman in question, a loose, unpleasant youth in Sergeant Mason's guardhouse. He'd avoid him whenever possible on his obligatory registration days. Watching the girls fight, he pondered the loser's lucky escape. Later, on his way to the mansion, he spotted both girls again. This time, the loser was comforting the teary-eyed Victor. Through her sobs, Finn overheard her say, I can't believe he did that, the bastard! He smiled. The girls' lucky escape had put him in a very good mood for his encounter with Miss Fry. It was going to be a productive lesson. On the table lay a small parcel wrapped in pretty green paper. Around it a gold ribbon was tied into a bow. Aren't you going to open it? Cat pushed the gift towards him expectantly. It would be rude to refuse my present. Your mother would disapprove. Hawk-like, she watched him. 
He touched it with the tips of his fingers, a pulse of malevolent energy transferring from gift to body. He flinched, wincing slightly. His headache had returned. Open it! Finn recognised it was an order not to be countermanded. A slight tremor ran down his arm and he took hold of the trailing ribbon. He pulled and the bow unravelled. With slow and measured actions, he removed the band and placed it to one side, then unfolded the paper concealing the monster. The book cover showed the young legs of a girl on her tiptoes, her feet enclosed in pale pink bobby socks. Lolita, written across the middle. The ramifications of the gift raced through his mind, arrest, sentence and labour camp. Finn looked up at the beaming girl before him. You know I can't accept this book. Just having it carries a severe penalty. It's an early edition. Very valuable, I believe. He shook his head. It was as though she didn't understand, or worse, didn't care. My life and that of my wife might be, be, be destroyed by your gift. I'm sure you understand the dangers. You are condemning me. Miss Fry moved forward onto her elbows, resting her head on her hands. I'm not condemning you. I don't expect you to take it home, nor read it openly in the street. I want you to read it to me. No one will be listening. I'm bored of the Bennets and the insufferable Darcy. I want to examine a totally different kind of relationship. No, this can't happen. I don't have to tutor you. I'll resign. Finn was panicking, trapped by her caprice. Her hands flat on the table, Cap pushed in towards Finn. Who are you to give me orders? She was calm and undeniably in control. If I want you in my sitting room three times a week, that is exactly where you will be. She left the table and threw herself down onto the sofa indicating to the other seat with her outstretched arm. Sit. I am not your puppy to be trained to your command. Finn knew he was not obliged to teach her. It was extra work. He was entitled to turn it down, even as a DIA. Snatching up his bag, he went to the door, pushing down on the handle. It refused to budge. Is this door locked? Of course it is. Do you think you can just come and go as you please? Nobody's listening. Nobody's watching. And there is nowhere for you to go. Now sit. Cat returned to the table, collected the book and placed it into Finn's hot hand. We'll start now. Sophie. It was the fourth time she'd unpicked the flower. Her mind was elsewhere. A quarrel about bike lights from earlier in the week plagued her. Finn argued the lights drew attention to him cycling late at night, but Sophie remained unconvinced by his argument. 
Cycling blind along those pothole ribbons of tarmac, he was more likely to break an arm or worse. It wasn't always guards who were responsible for broken bones. She knew of the lynchings, never mentioned in the daily briefing, but they happened all the same. Patriots taking offence to a DIA for no other reason than He looked at me. He was disrespectful. She would rest easy only once the gate had been flung open, followed by his customary greeting. And there it was, that unmistakable click. The weight of worry lifted. She put away her embroidery and ambled into the kitchen, expecting their usual routine. But there was no greeting, and no kiss either. He sat down heavily at the table, the air of exhaustion that he carried most days, hunched over his shoulders, pressing years into him. Good lesson? she asked, bending to kiss his cold cheek. Fine. I've a headache. I might go straight to bed. Let me get you something. You've had quite a few recently. Relieved the break-in routine was merely due to a headache and nothing she'd done or said, Sophie nipped to the sitting room to grab her handbag. Moments later, and with painkillers in her hand, she returned to an empty kitchen. Outside the kitchen door, an array of intricate webs covered the rhododendron, frost converting those fragile traps into cloths of diamonds and silk. Sophie admired them through her yawns. Finn had slept badly, his efforts not to disturb her failing. It was the early hours before he eventually fell asleep. She wondered if she should wake him, but soft footsteps behind her informed her that it would be unnecessary. How are you feeling this morning? she asked as she returned to the table. I'm fine. I told you last night, it's just a headache. Don't fuss so much. For someone professing to be fine, he didn't look it. He looked even worse than the night before. Unhealthy shadows were developing under his eyes, and although normally pale, his skin had taken on a green-grey pallor. Shall I ask Henry for an appointment? No, stop fussing, I'm fine. Finn shied away from her rising hand. Sophie searched her memory for something she might have said or done to cause upset. There was nothing that stood out, and she'd been particularly careful in recent weeks. Sophie ignored Finn's mood and wrapped her arms around him in a comforting hug. I'm not working on Sunday. After church, let's come home, snuggle in front of the stove and spend a day in glorious idleness. What do you think? Finn wriggled out of her embrace. I have reports to write. I'm going to work, otherwise I'll be late. Thank you for listening to this production of The Third Magpie. To support our work, please consider buying or gifting a digital copy of The Third Magpie from Amazon or post a review on Goodreads. Register at pageupbooks.co.uk to stay in touch with future projects. That's pageupbooks, P-G-U-P, like the key on your keyboard, P-G-U-P, books.co.uk. Thank you.